Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It all comes down to this. The final weekend. It's Rams v. Owls in what is surely the most unlikely of animal battles for championship survival. Kieran Westwood keeps Sheffield Wednesday alive. Will it be play off, Pompey? Brown! Oh, what a brilliant goal! Or the year of the ox? And are Wanderers bolted on to be top three? Or is there more to come? It's from the final day. This is the Totally Football League show, Extra Time, in association with Paddy Power. Hi, listener. Welcome to the show. What an exciting one as well. I'm your host, Ali Maxwell, and we're here to bring you the definitive guide to the final weekend in the EFL. That's me and alongside me, George Ellick. George, before we get into what's on the show today, final weekend. It, it somehow, despite feeling like the longest season ever, has crept up on us somewhat. Maybe for you. I've been telling everybody who'll listen how I'm so ready for the season to end. But then I feel like I am the personification of that Twitter meme where it's me. I can't wait for the season to end. Also me. Please can Oxford get in the playoffs to make the season go on for just a couple more weeks. So um, yeah, I am. I'm tired. So I'm, I'm ready for it to end and I want to come in fresh next season. But I think this weekend is going to provide some more drama. So I am incredibly excited for it. Okay, mixed energy from you there, if I'm honest. Uh, just run me through how we're going to do today's show because no particular midweek awards. We're just going to go each league at a time. Yeah, I, I think in, in midweek, the only results that mattered uh, we'll be able to cover looking ahead to the weekend and given its final day. And there are just kind of four pockets of drama uh, in the uh, in the EFL this weekend. We're going to look at those areas uh, in chronological order. So we'll be starting with the relegation battle in the Championship, then looking at the League 1 playoff picture before going into the promotion race in League 2 and then the League 2 playoff battle there. Going through all the games, all the runners and riders, all the permutations with a couple of great interviews in there as well. We speak to Nancy Frostick, the Athletic Sheffield Wednesday writer, and Oxford United right back Sam Long as well. So plenty to get through. Yeah, with our four pockets weighed down with drama, let's get straight in to the championship. And that midweek news that you mentioned, well, there's only one line really for the championship. Rotherham United now have neither games nor their own fate in their own hands. Of course, it's been a whirlwind, exhausting few weeks for Rotherham as they've attempted to catch up on games played and, well, they've struggled to pick up the requisite points, haven't they? They lost five in a row and then two draws back-to-back. In midweek, it was nil-nil against Luton. Matt Crooks hit the post, went closest for the Millers, but ultimately, George, they will have to beat Cardiff this weekend and hope for a result elsewhere to go their way. Uh, on that game at Cardiff this weekend, what chance do you think of a Rotherham win? 
I mean, it, it's it's difficult to really say. I mean, in the commentary uh, and the game uh, in midweek between Luton and Rotherham, they compared the relegation battle as akin to a game of musical chairs. And when the music stops, who's going to be in that 21st position? I mean, it feels to me more like a game of hot potato. Whenever it's in anyone's hands, they're, they're pretty quick to, to throw it away because for Rotherham, that Isn't was that, the case. Just in- to be clear, aren't those two games ultimately the same? <laughs> well, yes, but I feel like the... Um, <laughs> The, the symbolism of having it in your hands and then throwing it away is is better than, than dancing around some chairs, to be honest. But uh, um, whilst it is true that the draw against Luton did mean that, you know, Rotherham no longer are able to rely on themselves for a win, because if they beat Cardiff and Derby beat Sheffield Wednesday, they are still down. I do think it was a very important point because it does enable them to still be in a position to stay up if they were to win their game against Cardiff and Derby and Sheffield Wednesday were to draw. So I think this was, in a, it sounds strange to say it, but it was a must-lose game, I think, more than a must-win game because a, a win here means that any result except for Derby getting a victory would be enough. So as if, if they'd lost the game, that wouldn't be the case. Uh, against Cardiff... <laughs> I think it's hard to make a very strong case for Rotherham purely because the fixture congestion has clearly taken its toll. You know, we looked, we, we saw the game against Luton midweek where they, they did play very well, to be honest. And I think you could argue they were the the better side on the day. Mm. Both teams had chances to win the game. I don't think Rotherham necessarily had all the clear-cut chances. Jamal Blackman made a couple of great saves, um, who's done very well since standing in recently but but you can see in, in their, their style of play maybe that they're not quite as intense as we're used to seeing and they come up against the Cardiff side who seem to be through their little you know their patch of, of poor form uh, which came after the, the incredible start that Mick McCarthy made it, it's clearly going to be a very difficult game Cardiff are, are the better side um, they have better players and, and they're going to be up against it and the frustrating thing for Rotherham will be knowing that if they lose they are down that there's no other way to this. If they if they pick up just the, the solitary point, then they don't overtake Derby and they can't stay up. Um, I think it should be a pretty entertaining game for that reason, even though Rotherham's games as of late have been very low scoring, lots of one-alls, nil-nils, one-nils. I, I can't really see here why, you know, a, a Cardiff team playing with, with kind of reckless abandon when you've got Harry Wilson scoring the kind of goals he was... Scoring last weekend when you got Kiefer Moore looking to add to his his goal tally. Um, I, I don't think this is going to be one. And also the the motivation of Cardiff on the day will be to relegate Rotherham, despite there being very little needle between the two sides. Um, I, I do think that that will be that will play massively into the game when you come up against a side knowing that you can you can uh, shape their destiny. I think that's often enough to to rally the troops. So yeah, I I, I don't want to sit here and, and rule it out, but I still personally feel like the victor of the Derby and uh, Sheffield Wednesday game will probably have a big say in who does get relegated because Rotherham has to be an outside shot given their, their final game. The idea for Rotherham fans that Mick McCarthy is sculpting their destiny is a, a pretty terrifying image, <laughs> I must admit. I, I think they're just going to have to buck the trend of the season, Rotherham, uh, and that is be deadly in the opposition box and be strong in their own. Uh, We've said so many times that when you watch Rotherham, and I'm talking prior to this run where they've been understandably pretty exhausted, but for the most part this season, you watch Rotherham games, you feel there's a very good team there. You feel there's a team that's making it very difficult for the opposition, but so often not 
leaving those games with all three points and that's down to the business ends of the pitch. So uh, could it be that there's a hero in this Rotherham squad who steps up this weekend? We certainly hope so because it would certainly make matters at Pride Park more interesting because with it out of the Miller's hands, all eyes have to be on Derby against Sheffield Wednesday this weekend. It's one of those fixtures that would that was concocted in a dream for the likes of us. And you have to say a nightmare for those two sets of fans. Before we preview that game, George, you caught up with the Athletics Sheffield Wednesday writer, Nancy Frostick, who told us more. So Nancy, Wednesday might be seen as the outsider heading into this massive game at Derby on Saturday but they arguably come into this in the best form of the three although that doesn't really say much given the way those three teams are playing is that mood reflected at all amongst the fans amongst the players going into this they feel like they can win it or because of the Dower season is it all pretty negative going into this uh, this must win yeah it's definitely um definitely a strange one because um yeah Wednesday is still kind of the outsiders to to stay up and yet that that's been the case for about a month now um it feels like every game we've been sitting on the cusp thinking right this is going to probably be it today and oh no it'll be today and because of the fact that Derby and Rotherham have been so poor and there's not really any way of dressing it up other than calling it poor um you know once they find themselves in a position where they could be the one team to um to kind of escape it so I think from absolute depths of despair where after the, the Middlesbrough game, I think he, I think Barry Bannon came out afterwards and said, we, you know, that might be it kind of thing. Or, or he said it since that they the players thought that was it. Now there's a chance there. And look, they've not necessarily always done so well when their fate's been in their own hands at any point this season. But um, if if there's ever a game to do it, then, uh, then this will certainly be it. So... I think the fans definitely hope and, and pray that there's um, there's going to be something in there that that they can call on um, and and pluck some miraculous result out of the bag. We'll talk about the big game on Saturday in more detail in a second, but we need to kind of set the scene, I guess. And, and your piece yesterday on the Athletic, one of plenty of, of brilliant pieces covering the, the bonkers off-field stuff uh, under Chancery, the owner, at Wednesday. Uh, can you? Really blame the players is the name of the piece, talking about how the players, not for the first time by any stretch, have were failed to be paid for their for their work in April. And you make the point of saying, can you really blame them for kind of struggling to to get Wednesday out of this mess at the moment? I mean, you've watched all of these games in recent times. Do you think it has played a part in the slump? Um, I think it would be kind of hard to to say that it hasn't. I mean, just speaking from a a person who has a job point of view, you know, if you weren't paid on time, it is going to have an impact. I, I can really understand the fans that say, well, they're earning, you know, tens of thousands of pounds a week. How much can it really impact them in terms of worrying about putting food on the table? But, you know, they still have relative expenses to their income and, you know, mortgages in relation to the amount of money they earn. And so I think this situation that they're in, they're in asks so much of them in terms of, at times being able to go the extra mile and, and, and put in that extra tackle or make, uh, you know, that extra block. I suppose it, it would come into my mind, like how much you you want to do that, especially if you're an out-of-contract player and, you know, that tackle could result in an injury that means you're now out of, out of action all summer or something when you might be looking for a new club. So there's a lot of factors there where I think it'd be really hard to say that, you no, know, the players are just completely focused on 
being loyal to the shirt and and that's possibly not the popular answer with with fans and um you know a lot of the players at the club absolutely care very deeply for the club I would never doubt that but I, I don't think it's um kind of wrong to suggest that you know other things also come into play and, and it's a lot it's it's a distraction at times We've seen Chancery talk about the lack of revenue during COVID times previously when he's failed to pay his players. Have we heard anything from him this time around about it? And given the precarious position that Sheffield Wednesday are in, I mean, there's a lot of focus on this game on Saturday, but is there a bigger picture here where relegation to League One and the loss of revenue that that might bring could see some existential issues for the club? Um, yeah, I mean, we've not heard from him since his his last kind of media briefing, which was um, I think it was on New Year's Eve. Um, but yeah, he was he was very honest there about saying, you know, yes, the wages haven't been paid on time in the past. They were eventually, um, you know, paid in full, but um, but that he couldn't guarantee that would, you know, that would happen that they would be paid in full on time in every occasion for the future. And you know that in some ways, you know, the credit there for for his honesty and and spelling out the the situation with COVID and, and how the cash flows kind of been impacted. But, but yeah, it, I mean, I think it's a concern obviously for fans when I suppose there are probably other clubs in the championship or other clubs in league one where this is a reality, but with Wednesday, it just keeps hitting the headlines. And, and so it, it just builds into this snowball of, of issues, which is kind of culminating in a game at the weekend where, yeah, there are going to be huge financial impacts implications if if they go down i think it's sort of at face value at, at roughly a 7 million pound drop uh you know from from one day to the next if you if you get relegated and you know to a club like wednesday of who've had those battles with with ffp as well uh, that sort of difference is is quite a chunk it's been, it's been a topsy turvy couple of weeks uh for wednesday i mean what have you made about what's going on in the pitch at the moment and how do you see wednesday's form coming into this game I mean, there's definitely been, I would say there's definitely been an improvement under Darren Moore. We're seeing kind of more positive football, more playing out from the back, but equally at times, you know, that that has hurt Wednesday. So, um, you know, conceding the penalty to Forrest um, at the weekend came as a result of them sort of trying to play out from the back. I think the best way to describe them is erratic, which has been the case for, again, about 18 months. But yeah, coming into this game, I mean, they have the best form of the three the three teams they just the major kind of hiccup I suppose is they have a terrible record at Pride Park I don't think they've won since 2006 and so again it's just another thing that's mounting up that they all need to kind of get over and push through and I guess it's there to be to be proven all the odds are there to be beaten so yeah be a big one Let's just quickly touch on Darren Moore before we let you go. Um, you, you talk about things mounting up. You know, after three managers this season, it finally felt like they found their man in Darren Moore. And then he, of course, was victim to, to COVID and then pneumonia caused by COVID after that as well and hasn't been at games recently. Did, do you know how he is? Do you know if there's any chance he'll be at the game on Saturday? Yeah, it sounds like he's um, he's much better, obviously. At one point, I, you know, I think he went into hospital and, you know, was feeling pretty pretty rough but it sounds like he's on the mend and, and there's a strong possibility he'll be at at Derby in some capacity if even if it's not on the touchline it might be in the stand or in the director's box so um, and I think given the significance of the game that'll be such a huge boost to the players one way or the other because he's kind of been communicating with them uh, via video link at halftime or, or before the game to to give them team talks and, and the such so 
yeah, it'll be it'll be a huge boost if he can be there. And I think, you know, it would be you know, it could be could be the difference if he's able to to get a key idea across or something at, at much quicker speed than he might be able to normally when he's been been at home. But um yeah, I think the main the main thing is he's just been working through it as much as he can, even though he's been pretty poorly. Um, which is testament to kind of how much he's desperate to, to keep Wednesday in the league. The fans seem confident and, and you know, the mood around the club is very confident that, um, you know, he's absolutely the right man. Kind of whatever happens, he's just really, really lifted everyone. And so that in itself is is kind of a big positive, regardless of, of, of the result on Saturday. Yeah, great to speak to, to Nancy. And it's a funny one because even though they are in this game of hot potato, they're yet to touch the potato. You know, they've been they've been chasing the whole time. But you do kind of feel like coming into this game, they are the only side of the three who've shown that they can win games of football and that they can put in a performance where it far, um, just a, a far better performance than the other two sides. It wouldn't surprise me at all if going to this Sheffield Wednesday play, you know, they they blitz Derby um, off the park personally and I guess the massive difference with Derby is there is despite it being a mess off the pitch and despite the players not being paid and all of the other stuff there is at least a semblance of unity at the football club there is a semblance where the fans believe in Darren Moore the manager there seems to be a buy-in from the players towards the manager as well and when you look at Derby Alley where things so complicated and you know I asked Nancy if there was an existential issue next season if they do get relegated at Derby it it feels like whether they get relegated or they stay up there are massive massive problems which are seeping into their performance levels and their results yeah because off the field things are a mess still that's nothing new and that was the case you'd say before we heard about the prospective owner Eric Alonso and his takeover bid for Derby County there's been reports overnight by Craig Hope for the Daily Mail that the takeover is in serious doubt because Alonso has attempted to refinance Pride Park in a bid to fund the deal now I think All of us covering the EFL and everyone who follows it would rather that talks about refinancing Stadia was over after the last few years and specifically Pride Park. But um, that's what Sportsmail have reported, that there are alarm bells ringing inside the club and a realisation that the buyout is unlikely to go through because although he's provided proof of funds and it's not known if that money belongs to him or an associate, sources say he does not intend to use that to complete the purchase of the championship club. So there will be a response, I'm sure, from Eric Alonso, uh, probably as we are recording. He did tweet the other day just saying, one more win needed. So he doesn't seem too phased by what's going on behind the scenes. But of course, it's just even more uh, unnecessary noise for Wayne Rooney and for his squad, who are struggling enough as it is, and for whom it, it kind of feels like they've been in quicksand for the last few weeks you look at it and this run of defeats has been so miserable in so many ways and and realistically heading into the final weekend we know now that just one win would have been enough uh, in those games to avoid what is a very nervy final day but what we should say is despite it feeling like everything's going against Derby County 
They are, in terms of probability, and I know that won't get the job done for them, uh, the most likely to survive. Paddy Power's relegation market for the championship has Rotherham at 1-7 to seven to go down, Sheffield Wednesday at 2-9 to nine to go down, and then Derby at 6-5. to five. So in probability terms, more likely to survive than not. Uh, but I don't think that'll give much respite to county fans who wake up to this news this morning and still have 48 hours to sweat uh, over this game at the weekend. Uh, we should also mention Middlesbrough against Wick and Wanderers, George, because Wick and Wanderers could still stay up, couldn't they? <laughs> they could. I mean, it would be it would be the, the, the greatest story in footballing history if it were to happen. <laughs> uh, if Sheffield Wednesday win 1-0 and Wickham win 14-0 or 15-1 or even 16-2. More like, then yeah. Unlikely also, they keep a clean sheet for me. Rotherham would have to fail to win as well. Um, yeah, it, it feels fairly unlikely. Although, who manages Middlesbrough? Neil Warnock. Is there a chance you say to the lads, guys, my beloved Blades, could we could see Wednesday down? Let's just stand on the side of the pitch. I don't think so. Uh, I think it's pretty unlikely. So, I mean, we've said it so many times, and given this is the last time we'll probably talk about Wickham as a championship side, they have done incredibly well to get to final day. Gareth Ainsworth has said as much and I hope they go down swinging and give it a good go um, because they've been a credit to themselves and a credit to the league and and a credit to League One as well because teams don't often do too well coming up from League One to the Championship and, and given the disparity of budget between them, you know, think of the other teams we're talking about here, Derby County, Sheffield Wednesday, Wickham basically level on points with them, just their negative goal difference, proving that it's going to be too much to stay up. And we look up towards the playoff quickly, a playoff picture in the championship, where whilst we know the four teams who will be competing in those, Barnsley and Bournemouth will still dance a final day jig to see who'll finish sixth, which is fairly significant because they will both be hoping to avoid Brentford because the other will go on to play Swansea, which probably does look like an easier fixture into the semi-finals. That's the championship then. Three clubs, one place in the second tier. Next, it's League One, where it's all about the playoffs. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. Uh, what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the question sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. Teas and C's apply. 18 plus begumbleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. There were a few fixtures and therefore a few results in midweek in League One, George. Just talk me through the top line here. Blackpool coasted past Doncaster to finally secure their playoff spot with Ellis Sims at the double. Charlton did their bit as well. A nervy first half against Lincoln in which Ben Amos had to make a smart save from Callum Morton but there was a second half blitz with goals from Jaden Stockley, Ryan Innes and Chucks Eneke in an interesting cameo. More on him later. I mean, do we have to say this? Ipswich with their sixth nil-nil draw in their last ten. 
their games this season have averaged less than two goals per game. I have a feeling it's going to be a very, very different Ipswich Town next season under Paul Cook oh, and the new owners as well. I hope that so, is, mate. I really that, hope so. <laughs> that is the worst in terms of kind of goal expectancy per game in League One. But we'll get into the business end now. And this mm. is one spot available, three teams going for it for that last playoff Berth, and we'll start with the team who currently occupy that position in Portsmouth Alley, who host Accrington Stanley. In your hot potato analogy, who currently has the potato in this in this League One playoff battle? Portsmouth. Okay. Well, but they don't want to give it away. That is an issue, I guess. Right. Okay. It's <laughs> new rules. New rules for this one. Fine. Look, the the question for Portsmouth is pretty simple. Have you got the minerals? And by that I mean. Everything is in their favour here. They've got the points. They've got the last playoff spot. They've got a home game against a team in mid-table and therefore in and around the beach, you might think. Win it and they'll make the playoffs and they'll extend their season. But fail to win it, well, I think we have to expect that one of Oxford or Charlton will win and take their spot, although we'll look at their matches in a little more depth in just a minute. Pompey's recent form makes them difficult to predict. And it's difficult to know exactly what their level is, I think, under Danny and Nicky Cowley, which isn't a huge knock on them, given they came in with only a quarter of the season still to go. But starting with four 2-1 wins, then they went four games without any. And in the last three, it's two wins and a draw. But I wouldn't say any of it's been particularly comfortable. So this is an interesting one. I would have thought, guessed, before looking at the home league table, for League One, that Pompey would be a strong home side. That feels like a, a, a Pompey trait from the last few years, but it's not been the case this season, whether or not they are missing the Fratton Park faithful more so than other sides. Maybe it's something to do with style of play. I'm not sure, but only nine wins from 22 home games this season at Fratton Park. We know they've got match winners. Ronan Curtis showed it last week in their 3-1 win against Wimbledon with two assists and one goal. Marcus Harness at, at times this season has single-handedly won them games. But I must admit, I've been concerned by how shaky Pompey look at the back. And Accrington Stanley, well, who are they? Potentially <laughs> the league's most gleeful party poopers because they're not on the beach, George. They're nowhere near it. They've never even seen a beach. Just in the last month or so, Aki, with supposedly nothing to play for, have drawn with Charlton, have drawn with Pompey, have drawn with Sutherland, have drawn with Blackpool, and they've beaten Oxford. So they've been the fly in like five or six different ointments. They've been a number of cats amongst so many pigeons, and I think they still could be this weekend as well. Um, I, I really, really am worried for Portsmouth here. They'll have to show a lot of character, but they'll also have to play properly. They'll have to show quality. I don't think Accrington are going to make it easy for them at all. And so they have to be feeling pretty nervy. They're there to be shot at. Uh, George, most weeks, I'm just here for a good time, not a long time. But this week, it, it's both. I'm having a good time, and now it's long time. Uh, yeah, Oxford versus Burton is the next one we're going to be discussing. And I was lucky enough to speak to Oxford United right back and goal scoring sensation Sam Long about the season so far and their hopes for final day on Sunday. So, Sam, we're speaking just a couple of days before a massive game against Burton, uh, where if you win and results go up your way elsewhere, it could be another playoff campaign. What's the mood like in the camp at the moment? Yeah, I mean, we've we've had a, a we're on a good run again. 
obviously we had a bit of a disappointing result against uh, Wimbledon, but I think the character we've shown to then bounce back from that disappointment to then win the, the next two games, which were were quite tough games. They weren't easy games. Obviously, playing Plymouth and Shrewsbury, they're they're winding down to the end of the season and, and they've got nothing to play for. But they they both they both play nice football in that. So. The mood in the camp is we're, we're confident we can win. We obviously need to concentrate on ourselves and hopefully get the job done ourselves. But we know in the back of our minds, we need we need uh, Accrington to do us a bit of a favour. We'll talk about the game in a second, but let's look at hypotheticals as if Oxford do get into the playoffs. Last season, beat uh, Pompey over two legs on penalties and then lost the final against Wickham. We often see that teams who lose in playoffs and especially in playoff finals go on to have successful campaigns if they get back there the season after. Do you feel like you personally and the group itself and the manager would be able to take anything from that experience last season if you do get there? Absolutely. I mean, the experience that we we had in the playoffs last year obviously ended in the, probably the worst way possible at Wembley. But the group that we had last year, there's a lot of players that are still there this year and Obviously, that will stand us in good stead if we do manage to get in the playoffs this year because we'll know what to expect a little bit more and we know how, how much it does hurt when we do, when you do lose. And hopefully, like if we if we do get there, we can go one step further this year because I don't really fancy having that having that pain again of losing that final. Now, I, you know, as an Oxford fan, quite like the idea of playing Sunderland at some point in the playoffs, given not only recent history in terms of their their ownership, being Oxford fans, recent games against them always being pretty tasty. We're not going to talk about what happened in the tunnel last time, don't worry, but you know that adds to it as well. And am I right in thinking that your family are Sunderland fans as well? So yeah, um, my mum was born in Sunderland, so my mum and her side of the family is all Sunderland fans. Um, basically, my, my, my dad got my older brother, he brainwashed my older brother, and they're like, they're, <laughs> They're Leicester fans. And then my mum obviously brainwashed me to be a Sunderland fan, unfortunately. Uh, it's been, it was tough growing up, but especially in Oxford, being probably one of the only Sunderland fans around. Yeah. And yo-yoing up and down the leagues. But you no, know, as a kid, I was a massive Sunderland fan. I I loved them. But obviously when when you grow up and you, especially when you were a footballer and you know the ins and outs of football and and then play against them, ultimately that, that love for probably that team probably fades away a little bit, especially when they're probably one of our biggest rivals in the league, really. Well, Sam, when I'm in the in the media section at Wembley, when we beat Sunderland in the playoff final, I'll look out to see your celebrations and if you can tell you're a Sunderland fan then. Um, looking at the uh, the game on Saturday against Burton, you know, a couple of months ago, this would have looked like kind of the, the perfect final game, I guess. But under Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, they've been a much better side. Have you guys been working a lot to try and dissect what's changed there? Or is it more about focusing on your own strengths? I mean, well, yeah, like you say, it was the, probably the game after that we played and that they they started to to have positive, positive results. I mean, he's done a fantastic job from where they were to, to where they are now. And some of the results recently that they've picked up, I think they beat uh, Fleetwood 6-2 or something mm. the other night, didn't they? So they're playing with so much confidence and so much freedom I think it would be yeah it would definitely be a tough game but like I said we need we we will just concentrate on ourselves obviously we'll, we'll have a uh, a game plan that we'll put together and that we'll we'll go into the game looking to nullify their strengths and and get us hopefully the win that we need 
It's been like a hell of a run to get here, like a, a club record winning streak early on in the season after a very poor start. And then recently two dramatic 3-2 wins over Gillingham and Shrewsbury. What is it about this group, do you think? Um, you know, a couple of those performances probably haven't been that good as a side, but still managing to find ways to get points on the board to stay in the mix. Yeah, I mean, you can't guarantee you're going to play well every game in football. You can't guarantee that. And as long as... Is the only thing you can guarantee is you work hard and you work for each other on the on the pitch. And I think when certain players or certain individuals have have not had good games, others have stepped up and and, and got us out got us out of the the mud really. And I think that's that's important in in a football league season because at any at any given time you you're going to need certain individuals to to pop up. And I think we have done in the right stages at the second half of the season. And I mean. Like you say, we, yeah, we haven't probably played well in the last couple of weeks, but we've the belief we've shown within the group to to get them results and grind them results out, especially even the lads that are on the fringes that are coming off the bench and, and making a difference is so important. And I feel like if we if we keep that belief, I, I think we can hopefully, obviously, win on Saturday and fingers crossed, get in the playoffs, but then go on and and do well in the playoffs as well. Sam, it's been an incredible campaign for you on a personal level. Uh, you've made that right back spot your own at Oxford. You've got six goals, four assists. Some of the fans on social media calling you the Oxford Cafu as well. And in that Gillingham game I just spoke about, you know, 2-1 down in the dying minutes and it's the, the homegrown right back who pops up with two brilliant goals. That's that finish for the second with the outside of your boot. Don't think got enough credit. I mean, what what's it been like for you this season, especially without fans there, to really solidify your place and I mean have you realised that you are now somebody who's a, an absolute fan's favourite I mean I've in, I've enjoyed it it's been tough especially at the start of this season where we picked up a few injuries and I was playing at left back playing at centre mm. half and then and then moving moving really across the back it was quite tough to to be that consistent player which I, I like to think I am and since I've obviously got back to right back and like you say solidified my place there and I think I've just kicked on a little bit and I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it and long may it continue because I I know how hard it is to get in there. It's just as easy then to to lose the place. So I know I've got to work just as hard to keep that shirt. And I, I don't take nothing for granted. I, I work work hard day in, day out to to be able to keep that. And I I just think the hard work that I have I've put in the last few years is is now slowly paying off a little bit and I'm I'm obviously able to to show what I can do on a more regular basis. So for the listener wondering why I suddenly sound like I'm in a swimming pool, my uh, my internet went down uh, during the conversation. Sam has been very kind waiting around for about 10 minutes whilst I try and sort it out. But as you can hear, I failed. Um, but we'll, we'll move on. And I just wanted to ask you, I mean, what you've scored a lot of big goals for Oxford in your career so far, but I mean, none as big as the, as the brace late on against Gillingham. What was it like? How did you feel scoring those two massive goals, even though the fans weren't there? I mean, it was incredible, really. I, th- I think you can tell by, especially that like, you look at the first goal and the reaction of the lads, it weren't to go and celebrate in the corner or anything like that. It was more, come on, we can, we need to win. We get the ball, let's, let's go, come on. And then the second goals, it was, it was like pure elation. You can, the, the scenes of like the lads just running over, the, the feeling of scoring that goal. Because obviously, 
at that level, I, I've never scored a more important goal. And it was it was such an important goal at an important time against a team, obviously, we knew if we'd lost to, they'd go level on points. So we knew how big of a game it was. And yeah, the feeling of it was incredible, really. And I don't think I probably slept very well for the next two days after it. Um, it was a shame. It was a shame there was no fans there because it would have been 100 times better if there was. I think most Oxford fans had you to thank for sleeping a, a bit better after that as well. So that's okay. I mean, I yeah. wish I'd have been there. I did get, um, a, just, I did get a few messages saying about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. That. Yeah. Just, uh, just finally, you know, you've, you've crowned off a, a brilliant season individually by signing a new three-year contract. Um, a few of your teammates have also signed new deals as well. Marcus McGuain today, um, who's been on loan from Nottingham Forest, signed uh, a three-year deal. Uh, how far and how excited are you about the future at Oxford United under Carl Robinson? Yeah, very excited. I mean, I, I think I touched on it in my interview when I did sign my, my contract that obviously Oxford being my hometown club, I love being there. I, I love being around my family, everything like that. But I also love being at a club that's ambitious. And obviously that's what we all want to do. We all want to get promoted we want to, all want to win and if you look at the last couple of seasons we we're there or thereabouts and we, we were so close last year and obviously we have a an opportunity this year still to to, to get promoted and it's it just shows that how much how far we've come like I was in when I first signed a professional contract we were in league two just being promoted from the conference a couple of years earlier I was obviously at the at the game at the at Wembley when we did get promoted and it's, it's brilliant to see the club to have come so far in the last few years. And yeah, obviously now, now we're pushing to get in the championship is it will be, it will be brilliant if we can do it this year. But if, if, if we fall slightly short, obviously I know, I know it's not in our hands. We'll go again next year, I'm sure. And we'll give it a right good go. And hopefully we can have a better start and, and give us a little bit of leeway towards the end of the season. Uh, because obviously the start this year, obviously wasn't great and it's been we've done really really well to put ourselves in the position we have done yeah absolutely um been an incredible season great to watch you uh, so far this campaign and fingers crossed from my point of view that it's not going to end on on sunday for this season cheers sam cheers thank you Sam Long of Oxford there talking about their chances of getting into the playoffs and one other team are in this mix and it's Charlton Athletic who we discussed a second ago after their midweek win against Lincoln and they now face League One champions Hull Ali. You'd think on paper this should be a difficult game but do circumstances change that? Well that's what we need to find out because last week we spoke to Cheltenham Town manager Michael Duff and I asked him how many beers they'd had after celebrating promotion and he perhaps unexpectedly and understandably was very clear to me that they'd had very few beers and were taking their remaining fixtures very seriously so I took him at his word bad news for Newport County I thought that'll be a tough game Newport did them 1-0 didn't they so I don't know what to believe anymore Uh, and if Grant McCann looked me in the eye and told me they hadn't had any beers in the last 10 days well I just simply wouldn't believe him so I'm not going to be the one to judge 
the level of difficulty of this fixture. But of course, for Charlton, it's a bit of a funny one. You could say it's a free hit in some ways because they'll, they they would probably frame this one as, well, all we can do is win uh, and, and hope that it goes for us elsewhere because they're a point behind Portsmouth. They're level on points with Oxford, but with a four-goal swing in terms of goal difference, theirs is inferior. So it, it is out of their hands. All they can do is win. And I think my main question, if the question is, will they win? Well, can striker Chuck Sanike's body remain intact for more than <laughs> 45 minutes? Because it's just the most remarkable situation I can think of. And we shouldn't expect that every professional footballer has the physique and the uh, stamina and the, you know, the, the, the body of a elite athlete, because, of course, everyone is different. But this is an extreme case. Chuck Sanike essentially hasn't been able to handle the schedule this season. I, I think that's not harsh to say. that the That's clear if you just look at the stats. In his last 11 games, bear in mind he's probably their most important player, the most Anike's played in one go is 45 minutes. For example, in midweek, he didn't start against Lincoln. He rarely starts. He came on at halftime with the score at 0-0, promptly got an assist for Stockley's opener, a goal, won the game and was taken off an injury time, subbed <laughs> off having been subbed on because the job was done. He's like a contract killer, but with really, really sore muscles all the time. Um <laughs> Because when he's on the pitch, George, he's, he's basically producing ridiculous numbers. He's got more goals than he has started games this season. 15 league goals, 11 starts, 26 bench appearances. In terms of goals per 90 minutes, he's at 0.9. The next best in League One is Johnson Clark Harris. He of 31 league goals and he's 0.72. And Clark Harris has taken seven penalties where Anike hasn't taken any. So essentially, you've got... Basically, the let's call him the joint best striker in the league when he's on the pitch. And you have to treat him with the care of a newborn child. It, it must be quite confusing, I must admit, for Nigel Adkins. But if Anike is in good enough shape after his cameo in midweek to help Charlton to a win this weekend, then he will have a full week off before any playoff semi-final first leg. As you touched on, the second question is, what sort of state will Hull be in uh, this week? Because Charlton have to hope there's a bit of a hangover. Sadly, you know... They were promoted before last weekend and they did the business on the pitch last weekend. It was pretty straightforward for them. And, and on the pitch, Hull have been absolute animals, haven't they, recently? 11 wins, three draws in their last 14 games. They seem to score two or three goals every game without breaking sweat. And they've been winning on cruise control. So uh, I think a tough fixture for Charlton, despite Hull's happy last few weeks. Um, and yeah, Anike, the big story for me. Paddy Power have priced up both the top six finish, so which team will nab that sixth spot and who'll win the playoffs? Unsurprisingly, Pompey are the two to five favourites to do so. Oxford next at 11 to four and Charlton 10 to one. But Ali, it's often said in horse racing, beware the outsider of three. So Charlton fans will be hoping that is the case. In terms of who'll win the playoffs, Sunderland, the favourites at 15 to eight, Blackpool 11 to four, Lincoln three to one. And then the three teams coming after Pompey seven to two, Oxford 14 to one, Charlton 40 to one. So if you think that Charlton have a chance of getting that position, if you think that Hull are going to be on the proverbial beach, then 10 to one and 40 to one for them to get promoted as well. All to play for then at the top of League One. Next up, it's League Two. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. The, the League 2 final day has to be... If you, if you needed to rank them, and thankfully we don't, the best of the lot. This is the one that deserves uh, a sort of cinematic score as we speak. This is the one with so much drama. In fact, uh, if the Championship and League One have pockets of drama, as discussed, League Two is wearing cargo shorts. It has to, to pack all of its drama in. And it's got a bib on to collect anything that spills out over the cup of drama, which overflows. George, there's two things to discuss here. Let's start with the automatics. I'm billing this as three into two doesn't go. Yeah, it's Cambridge, Bolton and Morecambe trying to get those two automatic promotion places. And it has got me thinking recently, Ali, that I quite like the three automatic spots. And I wonder if that's something that could be adopted further up the table because it does keep the the tension, the drama going on further into the campaign. And I'm going to start by talking about Cambridge here, who face Grimsby. Now, we can't talk about Cambridge without talking about what happened last weekend, where they knew that a point at Harrogate would get them promotion. And I'm not going to cover it in depth because we've spoken about it a lot and everybody has, but they faced Harrogate's side who made eight changes ahead of a FA Trophy final from last season and they were 3-0 down within 15 minutes. They were 4-2 down. They got it back to 4 all. They were going up and they conceded late on. So... The, the, you know, the, the context of that game going into this, where they have managed to play in this extraordinary game of football and still come out second best, and now come into this with a lot of pressure on them to get the the you know the point that they need in order to 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 get promoted is massive. Now, people who maybe look on a Saturday afternoon at the fixtures, maybe for their accumulators. And they look at the league table, we'll look at this and think, well, this is easy enough. You know, it's it's the team who are coming second against the team who are relegated in bottom. But there's context to add on Grimsby's side as well. Firstly, Grimsby Town finally were bought yesterday. John Fenty's tenure at the club is over. Fans Andrew Pettit and Jason Stockwood have acquired the club. And you have to think, given the toxic, toxic nature of what's gone on at the club this season, all the way from from Ian Holloway's um, departure, from the murkiness of previous uh, people looking to invest in the club itself, the collapse of communication between the fans and John Fenty, it will feel like a new dawn. This is the first day of a new era for Grimsby Town. And it couldn't have come at a worse time for Cambridge. I'm pretty sure those um, in high places at Cambridge would have been hoping that this would have happened maybe next week rather than rather than yesterday. If you look at what's happening on the pitch, Grimsby have beaten Bolton, Oldham and Port Vale in their last five games. They were also 2-1 up against Exeter before going down to 10 men. Now, this is an Exeter side who are trying to get into the playoffs, a Port Vale side who are the form team in the division, a Bolton side who are the form team in the division, and Oldham, the team who've basically scored the most goals in the whole league. So these aren't kind of also-ran games. They've also shown under Paul Hurst that they are not the worst team in League Two. Categorically, you look at their performance levels, you look at what they've done on the pitch... I'm pretty sure that if if he had been at the club from just, what, a month before he came in, that Grimsby would not be going down. This is by no means an easy game at all. 
the fact that Cambridge can get a draw is important here and I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing you've got a Grimsby side who are playing for absolutely nothing I'm pretty sure will be happy to attack and if that seeps into the mind of Cambridge knowing that if they get the draw they don't have to worry about what Bolton do they don't have to worry about what Morecambe do could that lead to them inviting pressure onto themselves or could it be enough for them just to, to manage the game solidly? This is going to be a big, big test of Mark Bonner's management skills. I'm not going to go as far as saying that he failed because he's done such an incredible job this season. But we saw on Saturday that he let the game, not he let the game, but Cambridge let the game run away from them. And the the frantic nature of it was what they have kind of needed to get away from when needing just a point. Could it be the same here? And if it's a high-scoring game, then anything could really happen. Yeah, if I was a Cambridge fan, I'd be incredibly nervous here. And I don't think the list of teams that I would would uh, would want to play less than Grimsby would be very long either. So, yeah, it's it's definitely not... Anybody's looking at the league table and thinks, well, Grims- oh, well Cambridge are probably going to go up. I'm not sure. I think they're definitely catchable um, by both Bolton and Morecambe. And for Bolton... I know what I think, but it doesn't look like an easy game for them either. No, no, certainly not. Bolton playing against Crawley this weekend. And look, I mean, the headline in League Two last week was obviously Harrogate 5, Cambridge 4. But next best, not far behind it, was Bolton conceding an injury time goal to lose against Exeter with Exeter's keeper up for it. It was very, very dramatic. For Exeter City, it was one of those, all oh, put the Titanic music over it because, it, you know, it was a huge moment for them. It kept their season alive. And we'll talk about them and the playoff battle in just a minute. The funny thing, right, is that it was very dramatic and you'd have thought quite traumatic for Bolton. But then you realise that goal itself didn't really change anything. Bolton needed to win last weekend to secure promotion. A draw or a defeat, it doesn't make a huge difference for their own promotion permutations heading into today. While if they had scored on the break after that set piece was headed away, that would have secured their promotion. So that's why Ian Everett told two players to stay on the halfway line, despite every Exeter player being in their box. And of course, that's going to be high risk, high reward. And in the end, they didn't get the reward because they needed more people marking, it turned out, and, and Exeter scored. But I think if Everett can show strong enough management here, they really can brush that off and that should be well behind them by the time they take the field this weekend. But that has to be a big question, of course, because it was very dramatic. But I think for a team that's picked up this many points over the last five months, 50 points in 24 games, to be precise, it's just a case of managing the occasion. Uh, and I think the makeup of Bolton's squad, probably more so than any of the other sides, suggests they've got enough experienced and quality players to, to do that. But Crawley make for a really interesting opposition from a neutral perspective because they give away soft goals, plenty of them, and John Yems's interviews are just a catalogue of him slagging off how soft their defence is uh, and how frustrated he is at, at how many easy goals they give away. But they also attack with real menace. They're great to watch Crawley. They've got a real sort of carefree approach, I think, to attacking, and it's great. The handbrake is off. They're in sixth gear, and that's me running out of any more driving metaphors for that one. Um, <laughs> But I also just think, you know, for someone like John Yems, who takes massive motivation for for these perceived slights that people have against Crawley Town, he's got this 
Mourinho-esque ability to create a siege mentality, despite not really being under siege. Like, you know, <laughs> he, he creates this siege mentality in the dressing room, but if they open the door, they'd find there aren't, there is no army outside, like waiting to, to bang the door down. Anyway, at, at home to the top nine teams in League Two, Crawley this season, seven wins, two draws, zero defeats. You remember their cup run as well, beating Leeds. There's something about them this season. They like playing the top teams. It suits them. So I think there could be a twist along the way. But ultimately, when the game of hot potato slash musical chairs stops, <laughs> I think Bolton will be celebrating promotion. And I, and I think they'll win the game as well, which would secure them promotion. But George, I think they'll need to win because I think the side chasing them and Cambridge are going to do their bit. Morecambe are hosting Bradford. Yeah, so when I said that Grimsby were up there with the most awkward of teams that uh, that Cambridge could be up against. I think Bradford at home could be the best possible game for Morecambe to have. Now, I'm not slagging off Bradford here, but you look at their recent form, there's been a huge slump. You know, they've lost, they lost five games in a row. They then hosted Scunthorpe, who have been pretty much the whipping boys of League Two since their safety was confirmed a few weeks ago and would probably rival Bradford for being the other team that Morecambe would like to play. And they drew nil-nil in a game without much to, to write home about. It does feel like a bit of the, the curse of, of the purple patch under caretaker management. Now, you know, Truman and Sellers might go on to great things next season, but the drop-off isn't necessarily that surprising. And they haven't shown anything over the last two, two and a half, three weeks to show that they're going to be up for the fight here, unlike the Grimsby run of recent, which shows that they will probably, despite being relegated, make it very difficult. More can bounce back to winning ways with a 2-0 win against Walsall in typical Morecambe style. They had 25% possession in the game against Walsall, but what ran out 2-0 winners. And they did so with a threadbare squad and a threadbare side. Um, no Carlos Mendes Gomez, no Aaron Wildig, no John O'Sullivan, no Kelvin Meller, to name a few. They only had five players on the bench. 18-year-old Freddie Price was on the left wing for just his second start for the club um, and impressed... I did my research this morning, I think because I guess Derek Adams's press conference will be uh, a couple of hours after the time of recording. I can't work out whether these key players will be back for this game, but more can somehow continue to show that even without key players, you know, Adam Phillips was the first to go. It didn't matter. Now they've lost this whole host of players that we consider to be their key men, but continue to operate at such a high level. Does it really matter that they weren't at their best against Walsall? You know, they did struggle to create the kind of chances, consistent chances that we see them do so regularly. Um, you know, we saw it in the Bolton game down to 10. They probably created more than they, than they did against Walsall. But it's pretty hard for me to see them not running out winners here and then putting the onus back on Bolton and, and Cambridge. And that is... The, the, you know, the most important game in this three is what happens to Morecambe. Because if Morecambe don't pick up the win, if Morecambe lose to Bradford, it doesn't matter what happens in the other two games. All eyes on Morecambe. And yeah, it's, I find it difficult to believe that they're going to roll over here, um, which will make it... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling thinking about it. I'm very, very excited for Saturday afternoon and what's going to happen in this automatic promotion race. These League Two games kick off at 12.30. They've got their own slot. Make sure all eyes are on League Two on Saturday. But it's not just the automatic promotion place. Our fourth pocket of drama uh, is the League Two playoff picture. And, well, I mean, it's playoff or piss-off, isn't it, really? 
Oh, we haven't. <laughs> There's five teams going for three slots available. Now, two teams are in a very strong position. I'll talk about them here. It's Newport, who travel to Southend, and Tranmere, who host Colchester United. Both of these teams are on 72 points. That is a three-point cushion to Exeter, who are the team outside the playoff places. All Newport and Tranmere need, therefore, is a draw or, of course, a win. And then they won't need to worry about what's going on beneath them. Only Exeter can catch them. So with Newport having the better goal difference as insurance, they just need to match or better Tranmere's result uh, as well to make sure that they've got a couple of bonus games in the next few weeks. Newport are playing against newly relegated Southend. Hard to really second guess how motivated or not they will be, but you'd say it's a, a pretty kind fixture, really. And Tranmere against this Colchester side that... Basically, I think looking back, have played the ultimate prank on their fans, winning just one of 25 to get to a position <laughs> of serious relegation peril before saying, nah, just kidding, and winning three of their last four <laughs> to make sure that they secured survival. Newport are third in the League Two form table over the last eight games, so they are finishing strongly. Tranmere, 19th in the form table over that period. They are finishing weekly and finishing has certainly been an issue without striker James Vaughan who's still out with this slightly mystery knee injury where we were told he had surgery he missed a, a number of games came back for two sub appearances uh, and then hasn't been seen again for the last four or five it's all a little peculiar I, I suspect both of these teams will be fine uh, on Saturday but you would worry most about Tranmere given their form uh, I suppose the most there to be shot at team in the playoff places is seventh place Forest Green they are in the the fourth and final spot heading into final day it's been a confusing couple of weeks for Forest Green um, I was in a quest when they played Scunthorpe and beat them 3-2 it was the first game of Jimmy Ball's reign after Mark Cooper's departure and it was end-to-end. -end. It was exciting. It was basically everything that Forest Green fans had said that Cooper's football was not. And there was, you know, I, I read their forum and they were saying, the shackles are off, this is it, lads. And there was a genuine, palpable sense of excitement about what might come until the end of the season. They then didn't score in their next three games. They drew two of those games nil-nil. And a 2-1 win over Tranmere and other results going their way has put the fate back in their own hands. But... That early optimism in that first game has kind of subsided a little bit. They're playing against an Oldham side who we know, I mean, if you look at their last six games, Oldham, there have been 30 goals, an average, an average of five goals a game. They are both free scoring and porous. You know, they only know one way. And I think that should make for this to be a more exciting game. It's hard to see it being a nil-all game. But you're looking at a, a rookie manager, you know, a guy who's, who's never been in this position before, who's previous to taking over, was, was a youth team coach at the club. Going into this massive game, basically having to get a result against somebody who, in Keith Curl, has one thing he does have to his advantage is a whole lot of experience. And we know that this Oldham side are going to attack at every option. Exeter's goal difference means that they will overtake them if they better their results. So Forest Green cannot go into this looking for a point. They have to go and win it. And... Ali, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I think the we're going to see something back towards that open style because as soon as Forest Green have to attack and the onus is on them to do so, you can be sure that Conor McElhaney, Alfie McCalmont, um, Dylan Bahambula are going to be pretty excited about getting back at them. So 
I, I just I'm love ex- this stage of the season. I just love yeah. it. Everything you've just mentioned there, I can picture it already. It only happens in the last or maybe penultimate weekend of the EFL season. And it is always so good to watch. Yeah, it is. It is. And when you consider, as you're going to tell us now, that it's the, the team who are the closest to them in terms of chasing them down Exeter. I mean, there's a reason why Exeter's goal difference is so much better than them. It's because when they get going, they don't really stop. Mm. And Exeter, who we're talking about, they probably are the sort of team that will thrive in that sort of gloves off, no rules, final day shootout. They are at home to Barrow. If they win, they can catch Newport, Tranmere and Forest Green, dependent on their results as well. They do have the the best goal difference, joint best in the whole division, in fact, heading into this. So that could be uh, a factor late on in these games in League Two. And I threw down the gauntlet in previewing their game against Bolton last week. I I said, Exeter, prove that you can beat a top team, which you haven't done very often, away from home, where you haven't been very good, and give yourself a chance at final day glory. And the Grecians picked up the gauntlet and they said, we will, we have. They've beaten Bolton 2-1. Now, of course, they were helped by that Bolton scenario that we talked about earlier, the fact that they left two men on the halfway line. So Exeter essentially had 10 players attacking a set-piece delivery and Bolton only had, what, eight players or seven outfield players defending it. Uh, anyway, it, it's it's just set up perfectly for final day. I'm glad they got that goal. And now they need to do something that they have been quite good at, and that is smashing a bottom half team at home, scoring a load of goals, basically cutting loose. And I think it's set up pretty well for them. Barrow, they've had their uh, survival secured. They've lost four of the last five. I don't think it would be fair to say that they've just switched off completely. I think they're still somewhat competitive uh, and they'll have players who want to prove to Rob Kelly uh, and to the management that they can help kick Barrow on next season and and move towards mid-table and beyond. So there'll be plenty of motivation from their point of view. We know from the last few weeks that, as you said earlier, opposition teams enjoy raining on people's parades so you know it's not going to be easy for Exeter but it is down to them as to whether final day is is being made very interesting indeed in the playoff picture or a bit of a damp squib so here's another gauntlet being thrown down to Exeter City make it interesting for us lads uh, hot on their heels George Salford City but stumbled badly last weekend yeah if you type into YouTube wheels falling off they bring up a video of Colchester 1, Salford 0. And it's so disappointing for them because Gary Bowie has come in and even if I don't necessarily agree with the decision to sack Richie Wellens, in the short term it looked to be justified because they went on a winning run, they'd won three on the spin and put themselves basically in the box seat to get that playoff spot, going away to a Colchester side who'd secured their safety for next season. And then it all went wrong. Um, Deshaun Bernard, a, a centre-back who's been so important to their good defensive record this season on loan for Manchester United, gets sent off early on in the first half. They go 1-0 down. And then to really kind of show the whole tone of the game, Ashley Hunter, who only came on, came on in the 85th minute, then sent off for foul and abusive language uh, late in the game. So two red cards, two players suspended for this big tie, one of whom is being arguably, along with Hladki, uh, the keeper, the key player for them. And they're now in a position where they've got to hope that Forest Green and Exeter don't win and they win in order to get into the playoff. It's an unbelievably costly mistake. The only good thing for them is that they come up against an Orient side who, since their 
slim playoff hopes um, subsided have been really poor. You know, they've lost their last three games. They've conceded nine goals in those three. So, you know, it's not beyond Salford to win this game, but I'd personally be very surprised if if Exeter and Forest Green both drop points in order to open up. So, yeah, it they are the third game in this playoff race, but it does feel like all the um, all the permutations for it to happen are fairly unlikely. And that is reflected in Paddy Power's odds to make the playoffs, where Salford are the five to one outsiders. Uh, Chamir one to forty, as are Newport. Echoing what Ali says about those two basically being locks to get in there. Forest Green just ahead of Exeter. Forest Green eight to eleven. Exeter 13 to 10. Morecambe and Bolton are priced up too, but rather than talking about their odds to make the playoffs, Ali, give us their odds to finish in the top three. Yeah, you certainly cast some aspersions on Cambridge United's ability to get over the line this weekend and secure automatic promotion, but Paddy Power has no such fears. Cambridge are 1 to 50 uh, to finish in the top three. Bolton 4 to 11, and Morecambe, the ones that we are, if I'm honest hoping make it at least interesting a 17 to 10 to finish in the top three and that's it then it all comes down to this weekend to the final day of the EFL season spread out across Saturday and Sunday we've done our bit told you everything you could possibly need to know so that you're ready for all the drama to unfold please make sure that you join Matt and the gang They'll be with you on Monday to pick through the bones of whatever happens. We cannot wait to see. In the meantime, thanks to Nancy. Thank you to Sam Long. But most of all to you, listener. See you next week. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.